I, I want to be held accountable for what I'm doing. You know, this may sound like an, an exaggeration, but it was like the 9-11 of my career and certainly of making kombucha. Jesus is smart. This idea of income inequality, that always strikes me as a very, it's a deceptive term, income inequality. Well, let's flip it around. It comes from outcome inequality. In five, four, three, two. Hello, welcome back to Grubstakers, the podcast about billionaires. My name is Sean P. McCarthy, and I'm joined here by... Andy Palmer. Yogi Polywell. And so today we're going to be talking a bit about a a billionaire Brazilian evangelical named Adir Macedo. But uh, before we get to that, we are joined by a very special guest today. Uh, We are thrilled to have with us the host of the Michael Brooks Show uh, on YouTube and Patreon. The one and only Michael Brooks is here. Hey guys, big fan of the show. Super happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you for doing it. Um, and I think you're here today with us on what is, I guess, a solemn day for uh, what considers itself the left around the world. Uh, we're recording this November, or sorry, December 12, 2019. Uh, we've seen exit polls in the United Kingdom that, if they hold up, indicate that Jeremy Corbyn is looking like he's going to get uh, routed, uh, which is a very tragic event because, you know, apart from everything else, I think he's a funda- fundamentally decent person in politics, which you don't always see. And just to see a, uh, a decent person get destroyed by uh, people as odious as the modern uh, UK Conservative Party. Uh, and now, you know, um, I-, I do want to congratulate uh, whichever of Boris Johnson's uh, mistresses end up negotiating the U.S. free trade deal, um, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of job opportunities for them. It's also just a horrible loss for those of us who are wildly anti-Semitic. <laughs> um, we were really rooting for Jeremy here. Yes. Well, Jeremy Corbyn did give it his best effort. He really did uh, find the crisis actor child to lie on the floor of the hospital <laughs> and pretend like there are any problems with the NHS. Now let's do the intro if the results are different. I think uh, <laughs> we want to make sure we do a plan B. Yeah. No, I like, always thought Corbyn would pull it out. <laughs> <laughs> I know. This we is did a it, rough, guys. Suck it to me. Suck it to me. <laughs> All right. Well, um, I guess we should move on to the subject of the episode today. Uh, Michael, uh, you mentioned uh, your illicit history series, and I do recommend people watch. You did one, an illicit history of modern Brazil and Lula, Um, and I very much enjoyed it. I recommend people watch it about 14 minutes. It it tells you a lot of very relevant information in a, a condensed and informative manner. And um, and I wanted you here today so we can kind of talk a bit about Lula, whereas, you know, we just did an episode on the uh, the coup in Bolivia and right. s- something that was interesting that we talked about there um, that is very similar with the situation with Lula in Brazil is that, you know, both Evo Morales in Bolivia and Lula in Brazil, they, you know, massively reduced poverty, you know, 30 to 40 million people in Brazil lifted out of poverty. They massively increased GDP, you know, like... Yep. Uh, they made the country vastly more richer. So, you know, in both of those countries, the rich got richer under their um, uh, governorship, and yet it was this same reactionary rich that ultimately threw them out. And we were just talking about how it's not even about, for these people, getting richer, it's about their own power. It's Mm -hmm. that when you empower, you know, the marginalized, or you create a middle class, as Evo did, you actually do reduce the power of the rich, even if in nominal terms they are getting more money in. 
Yeah. No, I mean, I don't know. I don't remember. I think we probably used it in the history, but there's this clip uh, in one of the first interviews that Lula did when he was in prison. He's actually been released from prison and mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, hitting the streets hard in Brazil. And that's sort of changing the dynamics there. He said, I'm going to make these people's lives a living hell. It's <laughs> pretty funny. But uh, <laughs> which but um, among many other uh, things. But he said um, in this interview with Glenn Greenwald, I mean, I think it definitely really impressed people. I mean, this guy was a political prisoner and, and he had been silenced. I mean, nobody had heard from him. And the fact that he came out and started giving these interviews and not only like it was just like, oh, like that's Lula, like right, right. not depressed, not going crazy, like just fucking totally masterful. And we made this point. He said he said that people said during my mandate, my presidency, that like. They'd go to the airport and they would start saying, like, this place looks like a bus station because new people are using the airport. Right. right. Mm-hmm. Like and, and he said and he said, oh, you should have seen what they said. And like, I think that's that's correct. And then the other problem that actually starts to get created in Brazil and across the pink tide is first you have. Yeah. The wealthy that are like, even if we're winning, uh, we're still losing some kind of relative status, which we don't like. And then you actually do start to put a bunch of people in the middle class and if you don't um and i don't know what the answer to that is but if you don't politicize that Mm. then people can also start to identify in a different way politically Mm -hmm. right like well wait a second i'm not poor anymore and right i'm now going on in the neighborhood you know maybe i ought to look at a a different (laughs) political option i think that's actually another thing that's happened um although the tide is is kind of i mean bolivia is a huge setback but there's been some tide turning in latin Mm. america yeah, the theme of today's episodes is the failures of electoral politics <laughs> and why we must all use our Patreons to fund violent revolution. <laughs> um, but so the subject today is a, a Brazilian um, billionaire uh, pastor, if you can call him that, named Adir... Bishop. Uh, yes, Bishop. Adir Macedo. He only and, moves diagonally. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, Macedo is fascinating to me. Uh, Forbes puts his net worth at about $1.1 billion U.S. dollars as of 20, 2015. That was the last time they tried to estimate it um and he entirely got uh, rich off taking donations from poor mostly poor people in brazil mm-hmm. and eventually using it to buy a television station which is now the second largest television station in brazil um and he has been a, a major supporter of uh, jair bolsonaro the current uh, extremely right-wing president of brazil um, he apparently gave him some sort of blessing uh, back in September at his main church in São Paulo. He's used his uh, massive TV station to promote Bolsonaro. Mm-hmm. Of course, attack PT, the Workers' Party. Um, Glenn Greenwald has an article in the Intercept about how uh, his uh, TV station, uh, one of its news outlets, started an investigation. You know, like aggressively investigating um, the um, Intercept journalist who um, I believe was the one who leaked the, um, what is it, the prosecutors? Uh, oh, oh, that was the whole Intercept team. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. Was a, but one yes, this reporter yeah. was involved in the, uh, yeah, it was the basically the, they, they got uh, a whistleblower went to them with all these telegram messages that showed the corruption in the case against Lula hmm. and much more broadly too yes yeah, yeah the uh, the so-called operation car wash yeah, operation which, car wash yeah. which you know investigated lula as well as dilma uh, dilma rousseff and uh, other members of the pt in particular and, and across latin america i mean right. it was used to 
against the left wing leaders across the across the region. Right. And, and so, you know, they found the communications that showed they were clearly focusing on the PT and using this uh, corruption as a political weapon, you know. Um, but so, you know, and so, of course, he and knew their own cases were like like the, what they put Lula in jail in was complete. Like right. They knew it was weak themselves. Oh, really? Huh. Right. Yeah. And so that's why Lula is now, you know, out on, out on bail, as they say. Uh, and he does have, you know, charges against him that he still has to face and uh, deal with, hopefully. And this is another way of keeping him from running, because as we discussed, he would have very easily beat Bolsonaro one on one. But he has to beat these charges before he can run against Bolsonaro. But um, I, I guess just for what's fascinating about Adir uh, Macedo and we'll just kind of go through his biography and then we'll talk everything. More. <laughs> we'll talk more generally about um, uh, Brazil, uh, though. I did just want to mention, Michael, because I, I watched your show and I saw this. You said that Lula uh, installed Linux on government computers in Brazil. And then as soon as Dilma was removed from power, uh, Microsoft Windows was reinstalled. Yeah, there was a lot of mic- all the, yeah, there was a lot of that. I mean, that, that happened across the board for every initiative like that. And I, I just want to say, too, about the charges. I mean, mm-hmm. to be really, really clear, because these big terms get thrown around, like money laundering and slush funds and all this stuff. What Lula went to jail for, and there are other charges that are literally, I mean, there's one charge where they, they talk, just to really summarize it, they talk about a yacht, mm-hmm. and literally it's like a tin fishing boat. <laughs> <laughs> right? So, like, it, but what they stuck him in jail for and what they themselves in this telegram message, one of them was kind of like, oh, are we going to be able to this kind of week, was they said he took a seaside condo which first of all sounds super upscale sure, and actually sure, yeah. you look at it it basically looks like something you get in like Jacksonville Florida it's like it's I mean, it's beautiful sure. I'd happily take it but it is not what comes to mind there's no paperwork connecting him to it and they literally oh, really? couldn't prove that he went there more than once or twice to basically which is what he said which is like yeah I thought about buying this place and decided not to <laughs> and so like he went to jail for that that is what literally put like even people who say like there are other questions and blah 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 sure, blah sure. No one denied like that's what he went to jail for right that's what he was silenced for that's what he was taken out of the election for and you know, the, the bigger point beyond that, which I just think is worth saying, is like corruption is a super slippery term, which people throw around way too much, because mm-hmm. what are we actually talking about here? Like, the truth is, is that the guy decided to become president of an of a structurally corrupt country. Like, right. if Bernie, say in an amazing scenario you know, cut some deal with some scumbag senators, like in exchange for your vote for Medicare for all, we'll do some like type of like special kickback for right, your state's right, hospitals yeah. or some, some bullshit like that. Like, is that corruption? Like, sure, I guess. Or it's so a lot of the stuff with Lula is just sort of like, yeah, you want to pass an agenda. You're going to find like there's tons of part, like the four of us would create a little party and sit in Congress and be like, yeah, pay us bribes to pass your agenda. <laughs> and that agenda happened to be like building colleges, increasing wages, sure, sure, eliminating yeah. hunger. Uh, so, you know, some of this was, was like, yeah, they chose to work. And maybe there is a broader critique of like a left wing project that exists inside a capitalist clientelist context. But then you got to get into a conversation about like capitalism is corrupt. 
well, and that's it, the only credible way you can have that conversation. Mm-hmm. But corruption has been used. Every single neo-fascist mo- drain the swamp. Modi used corruption. Right. They used uh, uh, Bolsonaro. So I, mm. I think we got to be super wary about that rhetoric. And then, of course, you have a billionaire uh, bishop <laughs> who owns a media empire, but apparently that's that's on the up and up. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, the um, the papists are trying to take him down. We'll get into that. But yeah, I mean, it, it's on, to that point. You know, Michael Bloomberg. Uh, we mentioned in one of our first episodes, he quintupled his net worth from $5 billion to $25 billion, while on paper he was the mayor of New York getting paid uh, $1 annual salary. And but, by the way, that's just money working. Like, that isn't even... I guarantee you that Michael Bloomberg never had a meeting no. in a back room. God, no, no. Well, never. No. Yeah, it was like just... That. His money is Bloomberg his terminal, money is, so yes. he used government policies to promote Wall Street, which makes him rich. Yeah. And, no. by, and that isn't even, like... It's just the blurring of like, usual. it's just, yeah, yeah. It's, it's like we can call it corruption, but the reality is, is how money moves and how power moves is through these uh, veins, through these uh, passages. And to clarify that as corruption is not incorrect, but it just is fundamentally fucked up. It's um, funny. Well, and then imagine, like, imagine what if de Blasio, like if de Blasio was, did the equivalent of what Lula did for New York City, mm-hmm. like he would have saved Nisha. <laughs> There would be like massive public housing investment, right. and sit in poverty in the city was cut. He's universally beloved, like right. And then you find out that like oh, like he he was involved in some like you know I don't know like not illegal, but you know like machine politics fundraising scheme. At least I would be like, thank God, <laughs> finally a fucking like center left politician being a little bit serious about power, right? right. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Right. And so, you know, like, uh, it is important to emphasize, like you said, like, yeah, there are, uh, there is, there is and was systemic corruption in the Brazilian state, but they were never able to tie Lula to anything. It was a completely ridiculous case that they entirely brought to keep him from winning an election he would have won by any polling metric whatsoever. It's used to criminalize the left. Right. That's what Lava Jato is. And that's also why it's backed by the DOJ here as well. My wife, uh, my wife's Brazilian. She told me one time, um, uh, I think it was in Congress, somebody shouted at Bolsonaro, it called him a fascist, and he said, yes, you can call me a fascist, but you can't say I'm corrupt. <laughs> and so that is like something, you sure. know, I mean, it is... But Bolsonaro yeah. goes wild. I mean, this right. is a man that's like, if I had a son that's gay, I'd, I, you know, he wouldn't be gay because I'd beat the He's shit out of him. He's also connected to the militias in Rio de Janeiro <laughs> right. who literally assassinated, like... What the fuck does that even mean? There's all <laughs> sorts of bank account questions around this family. It's I mean, it's also it's just like Trump. It's also bullshit. Mm-hmm. You know, like I remember people like actually taking that serious. Oh, it's like oh, I mean, he's already rich, so he doesn't need to. <laughs> Are you fucking crazy? Well, he's gonna run like a business. He's gonna run so, like a business. You know, yeah. I mean, that's a good thing. I remember years like back in the day when like literally probably the '90s there was like some Onion headline and it was all like it was like chicken conglomerate CEO promises to make government work like his factory. <laughs> and it just like went into like gruesome detail. It was like basically it was like, yeah, that yeah. tells you everything you need to know. <laughs> Um, but so an interesting thing with uh, Adir Macedo is so I read uh, the chapter on him in the book Brazilianaires by uh, Alex Quadros um, as a Bloomberg writer. 
so I read the the chapter that has his you know actual what we know of his biography. That's mm-hmm. the basis for my biography. But Andy watched uh, the movie that he made. <laughs> Yes, and uh, the movie is called Nothing to Lose. Um, <laughs> IMDb says that it stars Martin Lawrence and Tim Robbins, <laughs> and it's about how Nick's wife in bed with his boss. Uh, he later gets a gun to his head by a carjacker, but steps on the gas pedal. They end up friends after adventures together, holdups, burglary, reckless driving, revenge, etc. Twists follow. That's not the movie I watched, uh, so I don't know what's going on with IMDb, but. Yeah, it was this. Uh, it was a film that uh, had uh, incredible uh, directing. I thought mm-hmm. incredible cinematography, incredible acting, and it uh, was based on his autobiography. And so it was clearly very talented people who clearly owed the guy a favor, <laughs> um, trying to make a dog shit script. Uh, filmable and they kind of almost succeeded also um the with the great acting aside it has been dubbed to english uh by what i would charitably call uh first year bob jones university acting students (laughs) i'm uh i actually i have like some baptist cousins and sometimes we would go on these car trips and they would play these uh tapes uh, about all these lessons these kids would learn about Jesus. And I think the people who dubbed this might have been the same production <laughs> the same company crew, yeah. as that. Yeah. <laughs> so I've actually I've got I've got an example here uh where first it's the original Portuguese um and then I, I play the same clip uh dubbed over. This is from early in the movie where his his mother is telling him after he fails to climb a tree that it was not his job to climb a tree, it was his job to climb mountains. Oh the word. My mom told me the same thing. <laughs> Você vai fazer coisas muito maiores que subir em árvores. Vai subir montanhas. That actually sounds pretty good. You'll do much greater things than climb trees, sweetheart. You're going to climb mountains. I didn't know he made Neon Genesis Evangelion. <laughs> Oh, oh, yeah. There, there, there are definitely um, scenes where the papists are deliberate. We'll get to them. Yes. Papists are deliberating, and you assume that they're also deliberating off-screen about the Human Instrumentality <laughs> Project. Well, I did, I did just think it might be amusing because I can kind of go through the chronological. I'll be a little brief about it, but the chronological, mostly biography of him that we know to mostly be true, and Andy can maybe interrupt with uh, how they chose the real to, truth. <laughs> how they chose to portray that in his uh, Marvel Big budget movie, uh, which apparently played to a bunch of empty theaters. But another interesting thing about Adir Macedo is um, all of his different empires link back together. So like he'll write books and then his churches will buy the books, which they will sell back to right. the congregants at the church. And of course, his television station promote his church. And so, Smart. He, yeah, he has a movie. <laughs> Smart guy. <laughs> I mean, like that's how the music and movie industry works. Like, yeah. you know, as much as we can say that that's a tactic by uh, Macedo here, the record industry has done a great job of buying their own content to resell to themselves, basically. Yeah, yeah. that's exactly how Top 40 works. Yeah, precisely. He has, he has been linked to child trafficking out of Portugal, but his worst crime was payola. <laughs> Andy, you got that drop? <laughs> his worst, we'll, we'll get did to they, it later. Did they address his child trafficking and his autobiographical his worst, movie? His worst crime was uh, providing the salvation of God to the people. Yes. <laughs> 
Yeah, so by his own admission, he's been investigated more than uh, two dozen times uh, by Brazilian and other authorities. Mm -hmm. Uh, The longest, he did an 11-day stint in in jail, and then he spent uh, half a million U.S. dollars hiring the best lawyer to get him out of it. (laughs) Dershowitz Uh, helped him? (laughs) The ghost of Johnny Cochran? Dershowitz flew to Brazil. (laughs) (laughs) Like, oh, okay. (laughs) That's what I like about Dershowitz is, like, there is a part where he's just so fucking disgusting. (laughs) Like, he's just, like, there's some line like I think it's I I cannot believe I'm making this reference but I always I don't remember any other part of this book but it uh, Madame Bovary I think Flaubert but it's like the mayor sold himself for the pleasure of it like like about some like local corrupt politician you just look like I'm not even gonna get to like all of the reasons that like Dershowitz should be shot into space but just like sticking to like just the like just the oh like a murderer yes like oh like i just like of course he's defending trump he's yeah. disgusted like oh yeah like, oh yeah like dershowitz is like in his own filth like basically he's incredibly bad for the jewish brand and i say this like <laughs> every time i see dershowitz i'm just like that is so bad for us man <laughs> Jesus Christ. This man has just undone all of the progress you just made with the defeat of Jeremy Corbyn. (laughs) I was actually thinking Dershowitz would help Jeremy Corbyn. It's like Jeremy Corbyn should have put up a giant picture of Dershowitz. (laughs) Like he would he would want you to vote. People are like, like, this is an anti-Semitic caricature. (laughs) It's like I've always never shied from telling the truth. It just actually went like he became an actual anti-Semite last week. It's like I don't want him controlling British banks. (laughs) (laughs) Look, is that the face that you want controlling your credit rating? Well I don't. I'm just imagining Dershowitz like, thank you, Mr. Bolsonaro, for visiting me yeah. on Little St. James Island so we can discuss criminalizing BDS. Yes, like, exactly. Would you like a massage? Anything you would like? Because we need to protect Israel. It's very important. His self-defense right now is like, I am getting railroaded in the press, uh, just like President Trump is for doing the exact same thing with the exact same guy. <laughs> No, that is awesome. I like I like like other I, I like this new gen. It used to be that people like that would make disgusting comparisons. Like the Dershowitz of ten years ago would be like, you, what happens is when you lie, then then a great man like Nelson Mandela is in prison, and now they all are just recycling. Like right. this is just like what's happening in Netanyahu. It's like what do you mean in the sense that you're all fucking degenerate criminals? Like you like this is just like Donald Trump's. Like right? Yeah, exactly. You fucking crazy. <laughs> Um, so to start from the beginning of the story of how Adir Macedo became, you know, the billionaire evangelical pastor who promoted uh, Bolsonaro, still promotes him today. Um, uh, he's born 1945 in a small town in the state of Rio de Janeiro outside the city, but his parents move him to the city early on. Um, he... Uh, Oh, and we should just mention, he's the founder of the what's called the Universal Church of the Kingdom of God. Uh, they claim over 8 million followers in Brazil, 12 million worldwide. They actually have a church in Brooklyn. Oh, really? They might even have one in um, uh, Queens as well, but I know Sweet. they have one in Brooklyn. Yeah, so we're all going hereafter mm-hmm. for the yeah, Midnight yeah. Mass. Where's it at? Uh, I don't it, know exactly. Where it's it? not Mass, Sean. <laughs> yeah, that's it's definitely uh, not some Mass. So. bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, we should have. We didn't tithe enough to them to wish a Jeremy Corbyn a victory into existence. Well, they got a candlelight vigil there tonight, so yeah, I think we should right. show up. By the way, this uh, movie starts uh, kind of 
like uh, City of God. Yeah, it really does. With way more God, and then it ends up if the rest of City of God were written by the drug dealers and they were much more successful. <laughs> well, and so Adir, he, he preaches p- prosperity gospel, which a lot of Americans will be familiar with, you know, Joel Olstein or whoever else you want to pick, whatever West. Yeah, 80s uh, th- thief you want to pick. But the uh, basic idea of prosperity gospel is... Um, you say, I'm a church man. If you give me money, uh, good. Uh, g- if anything good happens to you after you give me money, it's because you gave me money. Right. And if nothing good happens to you, it's it, you, you didn't give me enough money. Mm-hmm. So that's like prosperity gospel in a nutshell. Like he talks about, Adir does, you know, tithing as giving him 10% of your income, absolute minimum. That's like just to square the books with God. And every percent you give above that, that puts even more karma in your God book, you know? That's exactly right. Yeah. It's like my, it's like the Patreon for the TNT. (laughs) (laughs) Jeremy Corbin lost because not enough of you guys subscribe to uh, the Grubstakers and Michael Burks Patreons. It's like, oh, you're so sad about the labor results? Well, <laughs> our next goal, I told you the reach goal is 4,000 patrons. Look, 3,000 was the bare minimum to destroy the Lib Dems. <laughs> you want labor to win, 4,000 patrons. If you want a Bernie Sanders presidency, we need 10,000 patrons yes, by right. 2021. It's just it's just what we have to do. Uh, Yogi staging a pro, uh, shirtless protest on Billionaires Row, our 500 patron level, mm-hmm. is right. necessary mm. for Iowa. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Make we didn't we, we didn't set up that $5,000 a month tier for no reason. <laughs> we did it because we were trying to support Jeremy Corbyn in the United Kingdom. I mean, we're joking about it, but the episodes will get better <laughs> the moment we get more $5,000 tier people. <laughs> Um, okay, so I just wanted to start with uh, from the book Brazilianaires. Uh, Adir gives a quote on prosperity gospel. He asks his followers rhetorically, "What's the richest country in the world?" And you know they shout out some stuff. And then of course he says, "It's America, the United States of America." Do you know why? Silence. Because way back during the colonization of the United States, this is history. You can look it up on the internet. The colonization was done by men who believed in the word of God, and they were tithers. That's what you see on the dollar bill. In God we trust. So he essentially believed and argues to his followers that the reason the U.S. is the richest country in the world is because its founders were the most uh, pious Christians in this prosperity gospel tradition. We had George Michael's faith. Yes. Um, But anyway, before we even get to all that, so he's born uh, a small town outside Rio. He's one of 17 kids. Ten of them die. It is true, like, we we talk about there are very few actual rags-to-riches billionaire story. He is one... But the actual way he got there was stealing from his fellow uh, poor uh, to... Uh, Delivering the message of God. Yes. <laughs> uh, so he's born uh, one of 17 kids. Ten of them die. He uh, has deformed fingers. Uh, his dad apparently beats him for this. And um, uh, right because he feels ashamed. Want <laughs> <laughs> to do like Trump logic? He's looking at it because his you see the figures and it's bad luck. <laughs> it's like having braille in the building. Because <laughs> it's like the it's uh, bad luck. Walk I, think, I think that's true, right? Yeah, yeah. The, the, yeah fuck Trump, up fingers, Trump yeah. didn't want braille in a building. Mm-hmm. It's bad luck. <laughs> uh, so yeah, his pointer finger and his thumb. Listen, are- if 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 the walls look like dice, the dice isn't gonna know what to do. Uh, so, a, a deer's pointer finger and his thumb—they're slightly smaller. So you, you know, it's even worse with the pointer finger. <laughs> a lot of people use that. A lot of, that's a very, it's a very useful part finger. of communication. <laughs> 
can't give people a thumbs up or a thumbs down with that short thumb. How can you hitchhike without such a such a prominent thumb? A deer staring at his small thumb, go, t- saying to his dad, "You motherfucker! You had to only tithe five percent. You thought you could get away with it." But so, uh, according to this, uh, again, biography from the book Brazilianaires, at 11 years old, he quits school to work at his father's bar. At 16 years old, he gets a job at the Rio State Lottery. Apparently, he pushes co- the coffee cart. You know, like they sell coffee and lottery tickets, I guess. Sure. This is, you know, in the uh, early 60s. Um, oh, no, the, he, it was just for the people who were working in the office. Oh, I see. Or at least in the movie, that's how it's portrayed. Oh, so he works at the... the yeah, like it's like the, the male guy. Lottery. coffee guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. I see. Oh, wow. Uh, but so, yeah, so he's uh, working for the state lottery. He apparently, according to his own autobiography, he doubts his family's Catholicism, their reliance on spiritual healers. Mm-hmm. How can you believe in a God who's dead? <laughs> you, you pray to God, but you see a dead Jesus everywhere. Anyway, continue. <laughs> he attends a Pentecostal church of a Canadian uh, evangelical preacher named uh, Roberto McAllister at the age of 18, and he describes this as a conversion experience. True. And he gets in, you know, the kind of born again Christian uh, uh, fundamentalist movement um, throughout his 20s. Because he cures his uh, sister's asthma. Yes. Uh, she she starts going to this church and then she throws away all her asthma medication and she doesn't have an asthma problem anymore. Mm-hmm. But better than kombucha. Yeah. <laughs> but it has a negative effect oh. on his relationships. Really? Adir, I liked you before that church. We can't even have sex anymore. <laughs> yeah. Wait, I like I like that. I like how he's like put it in the bio. Like, you know, I was still getting it in. Yeah, yeah. You're not supposed to, <laughs> right, but right. I did. Does yeah. he ever talk in the movie or are people always just talking at him? Oh, no, he, d- he does oh. a lot of talking. Yeah, so far. Oh, yeah, I guess. Yeah, so far these, it's just people talking at him. Sean, you were saying, though, that he uh, lost his virginity somewhere else? He claims he lost his virginity at a brothel. <laughs> That's not covered in nothing to lose. Yes. Uh, that, uh, that, that didn't happen. That scene, I, I didn't see anything like that. It was edited out of the final cut yeah <laughs> they they had to delete the scene where the uh, mom's like you're not meant to pay for it <laughs> <laughs> you're not meant to get herpes you're meant to give it uh but so yeah so he uh throughout his 20s he's working various government jobs like we said for the state lottery he also works for the national census um but he says throughout this time you know so he goes to this pentecostal preacher uh he gets converted and he starts preaching the gospel in his spare time to particularly people in the favelas um oh yeah okay so we got we got a few a few clips so in, in this time he meets his wife he also goes from a teenage actor to a 50 year old actor playing a 20 year old actor so what you get is uh a very joe uh, you get an old guy trying to be a young guy and it just looks like joe biden um nice. he he picks up his wife from the pentecostal church she's uh going to college but she wakes up late and so they have some uh they have a tiff a dear why are you still in bed instead I only wake up early when I have morning classes. This is laziness, Estelle. If you're going to be my wife, you have to wake up early, got it? <laughs> um, and then she... Fellas, she, we all been there. <laughs> uh, the, he, but he, he also has some personal ruminations. What good is a house, a car, more money, more comfort, if that's not what God asks me? And and so then he finally he finally preaches at his brother-in-law's church, mm-hmm. but his his friends have uh, their doubts about him. I don't think he can handle this. 
He can barely hold the microphone. <laughs> he doesn't know how to handle the microphone, but he does the thing that desperate open mic hosts do, which is when people are scattered all around a venue that right. has way more seats than people, they say, come to the front, you'll laugh harder. <laughs> um, and finally, he has his real breakthrough when he starts preaching uh, in a gazebo or a bandstand. And uh, then one of the guys is like, hey, something's going on with my wife. And he goes my over hour. to his house. And this is an hour in. They bury the lead on this. And then we have this scene. His wife is on the floor. Contouring. What? Oh, yes, the exorcism. Yeah. Nice. Put her hands behind her. He's like, listen, bitch, get up in the morning. <laughs> Leave this life and never come back again. In the name of the Lord Jesus. Get out. And then she's all confused. She's yeah. like, what What happened? And um, I hope she thanks him. Yeah. Yeah, so... Wait. Yeah. Wait. The evil has gone. <laughs> uh, so just a couple of things on those clips. First of all, they're like, what good is a car or a house right. if you don't have, you know, what is it, a touch with God or if you're not connected to God? Mm-hmm. So he will literally use this exact argument in his preaching where in December they have a, an event called the Holy Bonfires where he will encourage people to give him their car or their house and people will sign over titles to their house or their car. So it's it's a very cynical, anti-materialist argument where right. you get people to give you their material things by saying, you know, materials, there's so much more than just material wealth. Yeah, um, it's the, the <laughs> pigs and animal farm. Yeah. And, uh, and then on just the fucking demonic... Literally. The fucking demonic thing, like, so a similar thing to what's going on in Bolivia, where his evangelical church preaches that, you know, the uh, alternative religious traditions in uh, Brazil uh, are demonic. You know, they are Satanism. And this is uh, uh, what's called uh, uh, candomblé. candomblé. Uh, Great job. Yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) Send your letter. Earlier it said Brazil when you're trying to say Brazil. Yeah. It's worth... Noting that Sean Whatever. has a Brazilian wife <laughs> where he can't say, hey, how do I say this word? Right. Yes. No. That would be all the more reason to not want to say it. <laughs> I got your back, Sean. Yes. Look, I was going to ask her, you. but she wasn't awake yet. Right. <laughs> the exorcism hadn't happened yet. Yeah. Uh, but so anyways, there, there are various uh, so-called voodoo traditions in like Brazil. That. I am a podcaster. <laughs> <laughs> You need to be awake. awake. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Trying to figure out a way of making a new Jeffrey Epstein joke. (laughs) (laughs) But so, you know, this uh, uh, Brazil, of course, had a a large uh, slave population and a lot of people were descendants of, you know, African slaves, just like the United States. And they brought their own religious traditions. And uh, so these traditions are uh, called, you know, demonic or Satanism by these evangelicals. And there's Mm. actually a Washington Post article from a, a... three days ago, uh, talking about how a, a militant evangelical group called the quote-unquote Soldiers of Jesus has been, you know, going into um, these uh, uh, churches 
or not even uh, these religious institutions of people who practice alternate face and right. telling them like we will kill you if you don't shut this down and you know there has been um, a, a massive increase since Bolsonaro took over in uh, violence against you know uh, uh, non-Christian denominations within Brazil Bolsonaro Christian uh, yeah he's an evangelical Christian mm. oh yeah um, yeah, according to uh, the Washington Post, in Rio State, uh, reports of religious-based violence against followers of Afro-Brazilian religions have arisen from 14 in 2016 to 123 in the first 10 months of 2019. Why is it got to be black? <laughs> um, but, you know, if we have time, we'll get back to that. But it is just something where there is a very dark part to, you know, describing it. To a lesser extent, Catholicism, but in particular, these Afro-Brazilian religious t- traditions as demonic, satanic. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, the, the, there's the whole thing there is really synchronized and it does parallel here. But um, the evangelical push, I mean, they did an exorcism. There was supposed to be some type of exorcism in like the presidential uh, suites because that's where Lula and Dilma had been. Uh, It's totally... And and I mean, there is like... I mean, you know, the policy in the Amazon with indigenous people, both ecologically... Mm -hmm. I mean, it's literally genocidal. You could use that word. I think it's fair to say that, yeah. Definitely. And then you think about... I mean, basically the security policy is just like the police should just be able to murder anybody that mm-hmm. makes you feel uncomfortable as well as you yourself. I mean, essentially their version of like stand your ground laws. And so it's all part and parcel of like the paramilitary presence and, uh, and, the, and the, the evangelical business for sure. Mm. And then you look at this guy having a media empire and helping propagandize for Bolsonaro. So right. it's all in the nexus Spread the word of God. <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, so he, uh, at age 32, he quits his uh, jobs for the government to found the ministry. Um, as Andy was saying from the movie, he uh, would bring, you know, sound equipment to public parks. Uh, he was originally called the Bossa Nova preacher because uh, he had like slicked back hair and stuff. Sure. You know, um, and you got to look cool to stay cool. By yeah. the way, this guy was like 50. You could tell that he went through a bottle of Just for Men before every scene. <laughs> the actor? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he wouldn't try to play himself. Huh? No, cool no, 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 yeah. no. He, uh, I'm not sure if they could convincingly get a wig to work on him. Sean, uh, you mentioned earlier that uh, his main group originally was the favelas. Right, yes. And, uh, you know, one thing I want to point out about these uh, televangelists is they often prey on the poorest part of a community. I've seen this time and time again with the uh, Indian spiritual healers and leaders and how they've uh, preyed on the poorest population to get their massive wealth. And, and Sean's getting into it now. But when you own your own television company and you can put hours upon hours of yourself uh, broadcasting your own te- televangelism, eventually, especially if there's not commercials, people... It, with you know, in, with at the end of their rope in the bottom of the barrel of life, will go fuck it. I'm gonna g- go with this guy because he seems to have everything figured out, and that's what's happening all around the world. Right, and um, yeah, I mean to pick up on that point. So he gets, uh, he's doing these kind of crazy things where he's performing exorcisms, miracle cures. He apparently buys a plastic kiddie pool to baptize people in. Um, <laughs> the the the. They left that out. <laughs> uh, eventually, it wasn't cinematic. Yeah. That was something to lose. <laughs> right. But so he's getting these donations. Eventually he gets enough donations to open his first physical church. 1977 is when the Universal Church is founded. Um, this he, is right before his first uh, um, sermon there. Is your wife really pregnant? Uh, she is. If he's a boy, name him Moses. <laughs> Moses. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. You have to pilot the Ava, dear. Your wife is still asleep. Yeah. 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 Uh, the dub person does not seem no. that like a deer seems to be like what have i done <laughs> <laughs> that one the actor is it, actually it, it kind of looks like that he's like okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, but so uh, he gets he opens his first church he eventually is able to buy airtime on local radio stations and you know like the more he spreads his message the more he's able to get donations which pays for XYZ Um, you know donations allow him to buy more churches uh, to open more churches he buys his first radio station in the in Rio a local radio station he rents time slots on on local TV it's all a feedback loop but what I wanted to do uh, to follow up on Yogi's point that he just made is just quoting from the book Uh, he quote built churches on the poor outskirts distant from the Catholic cathedrals downtown. Sensing unmet demand, he kept them open from from dawn till after midnight. Uh, m- most of them were open seven days a week. They would have four to six services uh, a day. And again, if they're open till after midnight, well, you have the poor working class come home and they, you know, they're not going to be back by 5 p.m. They can go to a midnight service. And so it is something where... Um, when this the state or the society as a whole completely marginalizes and rejects a community there are these kind of people who will step in where yes he is stealing from them but he is also providing them with a community True. And, you know that that mark you're you're just thousand percent right and you know that marx quote where people always got the you know opium of the masses mm-hmm, part mm-hmm. i'm gonna i don't know the whole graph by heart obviously <laughs> but it, it's actually like it's like warmth in a cold world yeah. comfort like the point is, is that the uh, that one line that people take, it's very like you know, fifteen year old atheist. Sure, it's sure, like, sure. Hey, man, like pacifies the masses, <laughs> whatever. But the actual point he, he's making there is, in a world of exploitation and alienation, this is like the one area that we have given people for community, for purpose for a sense of basically values that exist outside the market. Mm -hmm. And we can stipulate all of the cynicism about, you know, that's fine, but that's the truth. And, and you saw, I mean, it's really interesting that like, I don't, you know, like the spike of these types of like new religious movements in the seventies, eighties through now. And, and I mean, they've always existed, but I'm sure you could study waves of their popularity and correlate it with different economic phases. And on one hand, like a certain track really appealing to people like in true profound desperation. And then actually also another part of people who were actually relatively speaking, pretty materially satisfied and well off. And then actually also running up against the limits of that too. And, you know, getting programmed like another thing to basically deal with alienation loss of purpose and market atomization on the privilege side of things Mm. yeah so this stuff always shows up mm -hmm. and the the outcasts of the world seem to be the largest market for most thing and most things and when it comes to uh most people uh eden urid what the fuck's this guy's name a deer a deer that's a weird name but uh when it comes to deer like yogi yeah that's fair point um (laughs) When it comes to him, like, you know, it's not just the fact that he's 
providing this this is this warmth to people. But then I, I bet that if we really looked into it a little further, that he's also cutting out the other people that are doing the same thing to bolster his own net worth eventually. Because hmm. that's the only way you profit from this in the, in the long run. You can't be non-monopolistic to get a billion dollars in this in this type of way. Yeah, one irony from the book is that eventually he would use record TV investigations to accuse other evangelicals who were taking his followers of stealing money from their followers. <laughs> well, you see, here's the thing is that in, in creating a, an alternative to the, the main Catholic institutions uh, and providing this wonderful service for people, he started making some enemies, True. some very, very powerful enemies. Good morning, Good gentlemen. Morning. Good morning. We need to have a conversation. The leader of that new cult bought a radio station, has a TV show now, and fills stadiums. I know. An aunt of mine fell for that con man. She gave him money even though she has none herself. He tricks people with his lies and fake healings. It's all an act. Senator, can't you do anything to protect the people of Brazil? Ah, can't he be put in jail for being a faith healer? <laughs> Your Honor, you need to do something. What I like about that is that the first, like, two-thirds of that is just sort of like, yeah. 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 Sounds about right. Yeah. That's, that's what this guy's doing. That's the thing is they'll, they'll, they'll take like the things he actually does and then they'll just spin it into well and in the background of all these scenes obviously no, you can't see it but there is uh, whenever the, the powers that be come down on him uh, there's a very visible uh, Catholic bishop with the, the cross very prominent on mm -hmm. his chest just like glaring <laughs> in the background. <laughs> I was thinking it'd be nice if like the end shot of that was a tracking scene to like an image of the Virgin Mary and then the music gets really <laughs> ominous. <laughs> um, but yeah, like actually what he was saying there is uh, what they were saying about him filling stadiums is not inaccurate. By the 80s, he's opening two churches per month. He was apparently filling up this uh, stadium in Rio de Janeiro with 200,000 people to wow. hear him give mass. Um, so, you know, and, and uh, another thing he was, was he more have a lot of charisma. <laughs> well, the thing is, he did it the same day the Pope visited and he outsold the Pope. Oh, you can't do that. Is, is that what he says? Uh, yeah. Well, there's a That's it's some real. It's Christian not what he humility. says. There's just uh, a scene of him watching the, the TV where they're reporting on it. And I, my goal is to get more uh, YouTube views than the Pope. Papal YouTube channel. Yes. God, it's like we're wondering why the evangelicals like Trump. It's like clearly they like people who talk about how good their ratings are. Yeah. Did you ever see the, that? I'm sorry. I, I know. I'm not going to There's that clip with uh, <laughs> Trump where he's like, he's like talking. He's like, yeah, the art of the deal. He's like, second best book ever written. And he's like, you know what the first one is? First one, and he's like, Yep, the Bible. <laughs> Minister, do you see how dangerous he is? These healings and exorcisms aren't they illegal? Legality is relative when it comes to religion. But if we could fabricate a witness willing to accuse him, we can't keep allowing him to act with impunity. Minister, let's use the media to get rid of him. This is why he had to build out his, his media empire, is to counteract right. the, uh, the establishment and the papists building up mm -hmm. uh, their onslaught against him. They're just haters, man. 
Right. And so we should, we mentioned earlier about the community. We should also mention that he, what he does is he gets his most fervent followers to become assistants and later priests and later bishops. And actually like is, uh, he does have some of his own bishops in Brazilian Congress in elected positions right now, but it is something where, you know, his most, uh, not only does he create the sense of community, but his most devoted followers get to be a part of the scam as well. You know, they get to be brought into it. They get to wet their beaks and promote it, uh, more heavily. Um, but what he really does, you know, we mentioned by the 80s, he's opening two churches uh, a month. He's uh, taking in, you know, all these donations. Uh, in 1989, he buys uh, Record TV, which is now the second largest um, uh, TV channel in Brazil. He buys it for $45 million mm-hmm. U.S. approximately. And he does this by, you know, going on a big donation drive and then using his church to give himself a tax, a interest-free loan, which he says is his money, and he uses it to buy this TV sure, station. Sure, why not? Yeah. But when he uh, was making the purchase, he didn't want them to know that it was him purchasing it. So he he sent one of his top aides to go in while he was dressed as a driver. And just as the negotiations were going south, he threw off his aide or his driver cap and his glasses and decided to lay the law down on how they were going (laughs) to. Negotiate the deal. Yeah. Oh, that's great. That's cool. <laughs> so he buys this TV station uh, in 1989. Um, and, and basically the way it went was at first it was just like a straight up evangelical network, but they're losing a ton of money on it. So what he does in 1992, he brings in one of his followers to be the new CEO and they just turn it into a profit making enterprise in 1992. Hmm. They, they start taking ads for quote unquote sinful products. Like at first they wouldn't take cigarette ads, alcohol ads, and then they start taking these ads and then they also just start up giving you know evangelical preaching primetime slots sure they uh, put on all these uh, telenovelas these soap operas it's like one of the more raunchy channels in brazil where it'll have like tons of like almost nudity oh really and you know it's this evangelical channel where they'll just have the evangelical stuff on at like 2 or 3 a.m hilarious no, none of the primetime slots that is uh, awesome yeah but like <laughs> actually, is, <laughs> i fell asleep watching this like soap opera porn at 8 p.m and when i woke up at 3 i learned about God. <laughs> yeah, it sucks if you like uh, watch them long enough. People, you'll see somebody on the TV lecturing you for watching their channel. <laughs> uh, I mean, but that's a uh, yeah. tried and true formula. Like, I remember I used to do a bit about like how late night TV just basically says like you're fat, single, and your dick doesn't work because <laughs> that's what all the commercials were like in the late '90s, early 2000s, where it's like extends Taco Bell and like Girls Gone Wild. So the the masses that need uh, guidance certainly are awake at 2 a.m. watching TV. Right. And, um, yeah, and so the, just from the book, uh, Brazilianaires, the former CEO actually admits to uh, Alex Quadros, uh, he says, uh, to paraphrase, like, we didn't get the TV station to push issues like gay marriage, but to exert power when our interests are under threat. Mm. And that's exactly how they use it. You know, if somebody's investigating them, they counterpunch. If other evangelicals are accusing them of things, they counterpunch. Or other religious leaders or any other power base, they use the media empire as a power base. Um, but, you know, so record TV is another source of profit. But uh, according to the book, um, they took in in 2006, 750 million U.S. dollars in donations. Wow. And this was, I guess, the last year that they actually revealed that. <laughs> um, but so, you know, of course, they're making money off the TV and the media empire, but also just people tithing a, a huge chunk of their income. And um, and I guess, you know, we should say in 1992, 
partly in relation to kind of the shady circumstances under which he um, uh, buys this TV station. He's indicted in mm-hmm. 1992. He spends 11 days in jail, the only time he spent in jail. We mentioned he spends half a million on a lawyer to get out of it. But by his own account, he has beaten more than two dozen investigations. He just beat one this year on the statue of limitations running out. Well, I think I actually have some uh, audio from his hearing uh, from that 1992 arrest. And you claim that you're not getting rich off the money of your followers. Haven't you seen the documents, Your Honor? (laughs) You found nothing wrong because we have nothing to hide. I respect the justice system, but I won't accept what's being done to me and to the church. You will not address me in that manner. There are still many questions about the rapid expansion of your church. Doing all that you have done requires massive amounts of funding. People only give their offerings, Your Honor, because they are always blessed by God in return. So uh, he beats it, and then um, uh, at the at the very end of the movie, this happens. Hello. Hello. Hi. I'm sorry to call you at this hour, Bishop, but it's urgent. Calm down, Paulo. <laughs> Speak slowly. What's going on? Okay, this is what's happening, Bishop. Everything is spinning out of control. Our people are being assaulted on the street, kicked out of their homes. We don't know where this is headed. Bishop, it could mean the end of our church. (laughs) And it's continued on Nothing to Lose 2. They're both on Netflix. Go watch them now. says... Sort of like, stop being such a cuck. <laughs> right, right, right. Calm down. <laughs> I do love that they, he had an actual Marvel movie ending to his autobiography about his church, where he's like, you know, Iron Man comes out at the end right. and says, but we don't even know the power that lies in the next movie. I'm not mad at it. <laughs> I mean, the man knows how to sell. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Undoubtedly. <laughs> I mean, honestly, th- this is like the type of thing. It's like every DSA chapter in this country should be reading this guy's biography <laughs> right. in order to figure out strategy. <laughs> and I'm only like a third joking. I mean, like, you know, charm is a learnable skill. And uh, this guy wields it like a fucking sword um, between his fable like upbringing to just the amount of power he wields in uh, Brazil. Uh, the man and you're that. also listening to people. I mean, look, you're you're feeding them, you know, poison in return. <laughs> and there's actually probably few things, frankly, more evil than actually like seriously understanding, you know, human needs and then using that to to exploit people. But uh, it, it again, that's an important skill set. Yeah, I mean, but like you know, like yeah. Sean's saying, at one point he's building two churches a month. He's going around the country. He's got a bigger appeal than the Pope in Brazil. He knows how to uh, lead a crowd into following him wherever he wants to go, hmm. and he understands people's needs. For, yeah. Uh, exactly. so- so just quoting from the Brazilianaire's book, uh, just to contrast the way he describes his uh, givings, I just thought it would be interesting to read the paragraph describing what exactly he does with all this money, how he offshores it. Uh, uh, according to the 2009 case uh, filed against him, which would eventually be dismissed, um, the his pastors would deliver undeclared cash donations in garbage sacks to black market money changers who spirited the funds to bank accounts in New York and then to shell companies in offshore tax havens to bring the now anonymous money back 
back into Brazil, the shell companies made loans to pastors to invest in a slew of private businesses, security firms, accounting firms, travel agencies, an air taxi business, even a health insurance provider. Uh, to expand records, you know, the, the media empire's national network, they also used the money to acquire regional TV stations. They bought radio stations, uh, you know, uh, to form the Hallelujah Network, and they continued to fund it all by selling airtime and, the, and services to the Universal Church. So it, lies. <laughs> <laughs> but it is, I mean, just kind of a fascinating description of our horrific offshore um, uh, financial system. Uh, but, you know, uh, and how all these different media properties tie together where he's literally able to use them for money laundering by just having, you know, these fucking cash uh, donations come back in from offshore and then be used, get funneled back into the businesses. Right. Um, and I guess, you know, with, with the time we have left, I, I just wanted to mention a couple other things. Uh, uh, Bolsa Familia is a, a Lula program. It was direct cash transfers to uh, mostly the poor. Uh, it lifted, you know, helped lift tens of millions out of poverty. It was a, unabashedly a good thing. But um, in the book, Brazilianaires, he actually gets a quote from a pastor who talks about how Balsa Familia was great for a dear Macedo. You know, we talk about Lula being great for the rich, and he talks about, you know, now the poor have money, they can get on the subway, they can come to our churches, they can give us more money, you know? So it is just something where a dear Macedo, like uh, very few people um, in recent memory have made him more rich than Lulu di- Lula did, and yet he's, you know, an adamant uh, Lula opponent well i mean yeah and but again also like there's like a broader you know the economy boomed for everybody and then the relative rate of growth was actually best for like the most poor but Mm -hmm. you know there's all these other kind of factors obviously that go in from like the aids policies the gay rights policies and you know, there's this really intense scene in this uh, documentary um, at the edge of democracy, which is about the coup that removed Dilma. It really accelerated this process. And, you know, Lula is in the car with his wife and the woman who made the film. And he's kind of like, basically, he's like saying like, yes, like the next step would have had to have been we needed to take on these media monopolies. That was something we really needed to do strategically. And he's also just basically saying like, I don't remember what the time frame is, but when you really think about it, like slavery ended in this country like a shockingly short time ago. Mm. And right. we're still dealing with this. Like it's just, you know, and I don't know, man, there's there's always going to be room for guys like this in the midway point of like people's religious needs and fucking unregulated capital. Yeah, I mean, that's just, you, you know, you definitely you see people like this exist in every corner of the planet. Oh, yeah. It's it, wild. It, I mean, and like they're snakes. Yeah. Yeah. In in the most classic fashion, their main goal is to, you know, convince you your money is not nearly as important to you as it is to them. And to get it out of you in any way or fashion is is not important. And it's crazy how like. <laughs> We're like so ingrained in this country, at least to like be to like identify with the fucking like a rebel or the the like a criminal mastermind maverick that can uh, outwit the system. But it's like that's literally what bolsters all these people's uh, ego to be like, no, I'm fucking right in, in stealing money and people's uh, fucking time to make my wealth. It's idiotic. 
Yeah, and uh, I'm going to link it to the description to the uh, Glenn Greenwald piece in The Intercept talking yeah. about how record TV uh, journalists uh, aggressively and completely unethically investigated Intercept journalists and, you know, aired smear documentaries about them and such yep. uh, to try and discredit their allegations against Bolsonaro and other uh, right-wing politicians, uh, the reporting that they have done on those politicians. Um, but I did just want to quote from it. Uh, Glenn Greenwald actually quotes from the Washington Post. Uh, they wrote about an investigation in Portugal uh, where, quote, wealthy televangelist Macedo, head of the Universal Church of the Kingdom of God, is under investigation for money laundering, tax evasion, and allegations that he ran a human trafficking ring involving adopted Jeez. children. Uh, the uh, Portugal resident added, uh, regard the church oh denied... <laughs> Uh, what? Uh, there's a, a, a scene where he's preaching and a, a poor lady walks in yes. and starts talking to his wife and she's carrying a baby in a crate and she gives... And he's the, like, I'll take that. Yeah, she's like, my husband and I decided that we should give you this baby and he's like, okay. Uh, baby's like, name Moses. <laughs> and you never see the kid again. It's a relatively cute kid. There's a market net on this. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Jesus, that's evil. Um, but yeah, actually, that's a true story. Is I talked about these uh, bonfires in um, December. Yeah, the oh, holy, is that what happened to the baby? The holy bonfire. True story. So you know, people people will give him you know their their cars or their houses. One woman came up, gave him his two two week old baby. And they kept it <laughs> as a, you know, tribute to God, a tithe to his church. Um, but yes. Uh, Motherfuckers giving this dude babies. I'm just yeah. trying to find uh, Pepe Escobar, who's a really, uh, like, a really interesting. Oh, yeah. He calls it a cocaine ev evangelistan. <laughs> to describe the sort of you know how fucking batshit that mindset is mindset of bolsonaro's brazil wait is that pablo's fail son no actually pablo uh, pepe escobar is actually uh, a he's brazilian journalist who writes for the asia oh, times okay. he's wild dude actually i've interviewed him he's real super interesting um, and then the end of that quote about the adoption thing, and of course this hasn't been proven, but it's very disturbing. Um, uh, Adir Macedo is being accused of involvement in an alleged illegal adoption network that stole dozens of Portuguese children during the 1990s. Um, and this was an uh, investigative journalist working for uh, TVI24 uh, are the ones who reported on this. So, I mean, that's a horrifying thing where, you know, you have no idea what they are uh, using uh, stolen human trafficked children for or doing uh, with them but you know maybe I mean like in cult like religious settings though that's surprisingly common right. I mean if you I watched mean, yeah it is a cult um, if you watched uh, yeah, the, <laughs> if you watched the uh, uh, late Leo Remini piece on uh, Scientology she did she talked about like how because of the disconnection that Scientology makes you go through and we're cancelled now by the way the show is finished <laughs> uh, but um, they make it so that you sign a billion year contract and your family's not your family fuck them but the kids in those situations end up working for the church with no rights or no laws and they're doing fucking yard work and you know grueling work for the church to basically brainwash them into believing that the church is everything that they need in their life so the reality that is holding uh signs outside the house of a documentary filmmaker saying they're a pedophile yeah yeah Jesus. i mean all that type of shit um but it's about power it's no long you know at a certain point um 
you when you have above a certain amount of wealth, let alone uh, uh, wield a certain amount of people's opinions, it's just I can get away with all this shit. So why wouldn't I do it? I'm just imagining being the Panamanian shell company accountant calling the main HQ and going, uh, "So how do you want me to uh, uh, mark these uh, Portuguese babies on the uh, company invoices? <laughs> Should I say this is deliverables or I'm trying to think parts? Of Alan <laughs> Dershowitz calling something a papal lie. <laughs> well, the Catholic Church has been very hostile <laughs> from the beginning. I mean, I'm Jewish. I take my faith seriously, but he's undoubtedly healing people. And, uh, and the Catholic Church does not like that. Yeah, he cracks some eggs to make an omelet. I don't see the issue here. There's really a yeah. turf war going on for child trafficking. That, I mean, that's yeah. the sad. It's actually not a war. It's you know how like uh, there's a uh, like we talked about this on a few episodes like a, a cable war, but really it's just networks that certain land belongs to you know Comcast or Spectrum or whatever. It's the same shit. Okay, kids in these regions are going to be trafficked for Catholicism, and in this region it's going to be for uh, Scientology and so on and well, so forth. That's why the papists are trying to take out Adir is because he's taking all the good the he's good, all the good kids. boys. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, but so you know, and, and girls, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and this mostly brings you up to the president of the Adir Macedo story, where um, we, we should mention Globo is the uh, largest TV network in Brazil. And uh, they've, you know, Jair Bolsonaro has kind of declared them an enemy, mm-hmm. you know. So, so it is something where this brings you up to the present because you should not at all expect the Brazilian state to investigate this guy in any meaningful capacity whatsoever, where he's doing these big services for Bolsonaro at his churches, his media empire is promoting Bolsonaro, and he has the main. Uh, competition media empire with the media empire that Bolsonaro has declared war on. Hmm. So, um, you know. Uh, and by the way, yeah. I mean, that and all of those guys are still like, it's similar to Trump. Like, to the extent that the like corporate, I mean, the media situation in Brazil is a catastrophe. So hmm. there might be some that are like maybe saying Bolsonaro is like distasteful. But they are never. But they are still at war with Workers' Party and Lula right. and the social movements mm-hmm. and you know indigenous people and the labor unions. So even that, like you know, because Americans, it, it, like it, that's sort of a bullshit narrative. Like mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. like and, and what I found really interesting that Greenwald pointed out was that this guy actually wasn't like Bolsonaro had a lot of evangelical support, mm-hmm. but this guy was initially actually backing this guy. Uh, Ackman, mm-hmm. uh, who's I'm forgetting his name, but I mean, basically, he was like the uh, Greenwald said it. He was the Jeb Bush candidate. Oh, right? really? There was the there was there was a there, the plan initially was that you would basically have like a you know just like a conventional right wing oligarchic type of person, right. and, and Bolsonaro. I actually, I actually think I've talked to some people who are, have a sense of this on the ground that like there's like a certain narrative of like, whoa, like Bolsonaro came out of nowhere. And then it's like undeniable that like everybody who wasn't on the left got behind him. Right, right. But I actually think there's probably a sense for a while among certain people that Bolsonaro was like not plan A, but plan B. Sure. Mm. But that being said, I mean, it's fascinating. I I caught that though, because Bolsonaro has this idea of like, I mean, he represents a huge part of the evangelical and the middle class and the ranchers and so on. And the finance people are happy to go along with it. But 
you would think from at least I would think from reading this guy's bio, I'm like, oh yeah, that's Bolsonaro guy right, right. all the way. But the fact that he might have been initially sympathetic to the more like what used to be like mainline center right party hmm. also tells you a lot about the scale of how this shit works in Brazil. Because I, I think a guy like this would have been able to certainly work it out with. Yeah. Uh, I mean, with with the, one of the mainline right wing parties sure. for Any sure. Of them, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's just, you know, I mean, it's the classic story of fascism is like the establishment or the billionaires or whoever is they would always prefer the mainstream conservative parties. But, you know, eventually when the system breaks down, there's no popular movement that will support the mainstream conservative parties. Right. Um, And so he changes his loyalties. But I guess, you know, last thing I wanted to mention is uh, just to follow up on that soldiers of Jesus thing I I told you from the Washington Post. It was it's this gang of extremist evangelical Christians who operate in the same state as Adir Macedo, you Mm -hmm. know, kind of near his power base. And the Washington Post, it's a a long, very uh, disturbing article, but they talk about how this gang is a gang of evangelical narco traffickers. You know, so they're like an armed gang. They took over the uh, the. Washington Post describes them taking over the Parque Paulista neighborhood. Um, they erected roadblocks to keep away the cops and created narcotics haven uh, about an hour's drive from Rio de Janeiro. Um, and then, you know, so they are, you know, Christian drug dealers for Christ who, after they take over a neighborhood, they target everyone whose uh, religion and faith doesn't align with their and own. And this really, I mean, again, Rio has a huge problem with this, mm-hmm. and there is a lot of evidence connecting Bolsonaro's family to the Rio de Janeiro. I mean, do you guys know Mar- Marielle Franco? Mm-hmm. So Marielle Franco was assassinated in 2018. She's a extraordinary, like she's Afro-Brazilian lesbian woman who grew up in a favela and actually rose as a, uh, essentially a, like a, like a civil rights, anti-police violence activist, right. which that's always been a huge problem in Brazil. And then she eventually actually got elected on. Uh, she wasn't part of Workers Party. She's part of the. She was part of PASAL, which is what Glenn Greenwald's husband's uh, party, which hmm. is the party of like uh, I forgot what it, but a socialistic sure. party. So she was elected to the Rio City Council right before, like in the spring of 2018. I don't maybe the winter. I don't remember the exact dates. Sure, sure. Her and her driver were assassinated in a professional hit in Rio. Hmm. And, um, and, you know, like as an example, actually in the last interview before he was sent to prison that I saw Lula was on democracy now. And he said like, you know, what everybody knew, which is like, clearly this is connected with, uh, these like cartel militias in Rio who have a lot of, and, and in the last year there's just been like one of the gunmen was photographed with one of Bolsonaro's kids. Mm. There was visits to Bolsonaro's condo. Bolsonaro says he's out of town. That might not be true. Hmm. And actually that's one of the things that Lula has been talking about a lot. It was like, you have a government of the militias in Rio de Janeiro. So Mm. I read, I mean, it's a really great piece and it's really fucking disturbing, but even sometimes like a great piece of reporting like that, I mean, I don't know about that specific group, but I do know that that like whole militia gangster mafia state thing is very connected with Bolsonaro. It's not just like some like, oh, isn't that weird? Like weird social trends. Like it's it's part of a bigger story. I would say Bolsonaro's only crime here is being too good of a friend (laughs) (laughs) and being too honorable. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm hmm. He, uh, he's yeah. got a lot of bros and before hoes, and that's exactly what he did in the mm-hmm. situation. 
he is actually like the type of guy who I could see really unironically saying that. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> He's such a fucking like like Trump just put tariffs on him, mm-hmm. and, what's so, and it's like that is it is the most hilarious. Like you watch like, and I'm not making any type of moral comment here because they're fucking monsters. But like Erdogan does not give a fuck. <laughs> he literally will sit at a press conference in the White House with Donald Trump and just lean back like, yeah, yeah. I said that. <laughs> like he doesn't give a shit. Contradicts Trump. Call, right, like, what, right. like doesn't care. Trump like greets him like, I think it's been very positive. <laughs> it will be positive. Bolsonaro is like, I love you to Donald. Like mm-hmm. just... And the response is like, yeah, he's a great guy, but they're unfair on Trey. There is something about human behavior. You got to respect yourself to get respect. It's bizarre, but it really, I mean, especially with somebody is just fucking pure like snake brain. This this is what happens when Bolsonaro tries to get away with tithing 10%. (laughs) That would be awesome if this guy tried to make that play. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, well, you want Trump to do favorable traits, then so you know, what's your look to like? Yeah. <laughs> he should be funny. He just like apologized. Like, I'm sorry, it's a force of habit. I realize I should not be trying to defraud the one person who might be able to organize the state apparatus against me. And Bolsonaro's like, wait, no, come on, let's see if this works. How much yeah. do you say? <laughs> Uh, but Michael, I appreciate your time. We've gone a little long here. I just uh, wanted to ask you, unless there's anything else um, that, uh, well, I guess your thoughts for the future. I know, like, it seems very uh, grim, but, you know, Lula is the most popular political figure in the country. He is now out of jail. And I think there is certainly hope there in Brazil that uh, could be a model that inspires the world, you know, in contrast to what we just saw in the United Kingdom. Yeah, I mean, they have really serious social movements there. Uh, They have, um, you know, I mean, he's landless workers movement, landless. uh, So, yeah, I mean, there was a good election result in Argentina. Um, Not to say that, you know, Fernandez and Kirshner are perfect or whatever, but Mm -hmm. just looking at it strategically, like the left winning that election is a big deal. Uh, And I think it is interesting the last couple of months that you know, there's still a gap in certain policy areas, like with certainly with migration and also the drug war, which are, you know, the main things. But Amlo's rhetoric has really changed. Like he's always been on the right side. Like he opposed the coup in Venezuela. Mm-hmm. But offering Avo asylum and speaking as unequivocally as he has on Bolivia right. uh, is significant. I Amlo, think the president of Mexico. Yeah, Amlo, the president of Mexico. So, I mean, yeah, I think there there is hope and the right wing like push has mainly been a failure in Latin America. There's also obviously all the social movements across the region. I love how, like I will say like Lula really is somebody who like actually believes in democracy and has even said like, even though literally it's like an illegitimate election cause he didn't participate <laughs> in it is like, we're going to respect the guy's mandate till 2022. Mm. And what's amazing is the distortions about him though. He's also said like, I wish the Brazilian people would basically like do something like you're seeing in Chile right now. Right, right. And they've actually said like that sees promoting violence. <laughs> 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 so uh, yeah, I mean, I think there is, there's, there's hope and like there has to be hope. I mean, I will just say like in 30 seconds, even in the UK, like it's a fucking disaster and it's going to be really bad and there's a lot of battles. But like, 
who the fuck knows where they'll be in five months? Like, yeah. oh, certainly, yeah. there's all sorts of internal contradictions. Like, people do need to remember that sometimes too, right? right. Like, I think like there there are definitely major internal contradictions on the other side. Now, mm-hmm. no doubt, they have the capital, they have the police, they have the power. You can't be naive, but at the same time, it these are not like these like effective right. monoliths. Yeah. And, They're not you know, masterminds no. of design and fucking there's, perfect precision. No. So, you know, I think there's hope in Brazil. I think there's hope everywhere. But it's mm. going to take a lot of work. Yeah. Thank you for unblackpilling our audience. <laughs> 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 um, but was there anything else we didn't get to here? Uh, no. All right. Uh, anything else, Michael? Or, and uh, where can people find you? Oh, of course. you can find me, of course, at uh, patreon.com slash TMBS. If you want to get the whole thing, we really do do a... a ton of extra content like a Sunday illicit history series and we do these post games that are really fun so right after you become a Grub Stakers patron uh, check out uh, TMBS and then uh, yeah I mean at this point there's a ton of content on YouTube yeah. so if you really just want to like check out what we're sort of doing I would I would try to watch a whole show to be honest because uh, it really is sort of how the show is designed but we have a ton of clips and stuff so just Michael Brooks show on YouTube yeah, remember, at least 15% of your annual income to Patreons for Leftist <laughs> That's Podcast. Right. That's exactly right. Um, but again, I want to thank you so much. This was so yeah. enlightening. Thank and you. honestly, like, I was very depressed going into it because of the UK election. But I think I have hope. And I, I think we had a great conversation here. So I oh, want to thank thanks, you for... thanks, guys. I love the show. I, yeah. really, I, I, I listen to it. So it's, it's a ton that, of fun to be here. This has been Grubstakers. I'm Yogi Polywell. Andy Palmer. I'm Sean B. McCarthy. If you're out there, try your best. Don't get blackpilled. It's going to be okay. As long as you try. That's what matters. Can't you see that our growth bothers them because their churches are emptying out? You're messing with very powerful people, Adir. The warrant for your arrest is certainly proof of that.